Kremlin critic convicted of treason for criticizing Putin's invasion. Ivan Nechipurenko, Carly Olson and Jolie Liston Matthew Pope Big Jeremy Fassler. A court in Moscow on Monday sentenced Vladimir Karamurza, a prominent critic of President Vladimir V. Putin, to 25 years in prison after finding him guilty of treason over his criticism of Russia's war in Ukraine and of the Kremlin's repression of dissent. Mr. Karamurza, 41, has been one of the most uncompromising voices against Mr. Putin. Shortly after the Russian leader ordered troops to invade Ukraine in February 2022, Mr. Karamurza, an activist and journalist, gave a number of speeches in the United States and Europe, condemning the invasion in strong terms. Despite facing clear risks, he decided to travel to Moscow, where he was detained last April for disobeying police orders. He was sentenced to administrative arrest, during which he was also accused of spreading fake information about the Russian army. A further charge of taking part in an undesirable organization was then added, and finally he was also accused of state treason. The Kremlin has insisted on describing the full-scale invasion of Ukraine as a special military operation but, whatever the label, it has plunged Russia into a bloody and protracted conflict that has, by Western estimates, killed or wounded as many as 200,000 Russian soldiers. Last week, in his final speech to the court before the verdict, Mr. Karamurza likened the current climate in his country to the terror of the Stalin era. The day will come when the darkness over our country will dissipate, he said in the Moscow courtroom. When black will be called black and white will be called white, when at the official level, it will be recognized that two times two is still four, when a war will be called a war and a usurper a usurper. Sergei V. Lavrov, Russia's foreign minister, begins a five-day trip to Latin America on Monday as Russia continues to push for allies in its fight with Ukraine or, at a minimum, works to keep countries from supporting the war-ravaged nation. Mr. Lavrov will start his visit in Brazil, whose president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, recently visited Moscow and walked a fine line after he condemned Russia's invasion while also refusing to help arm President Volodymyr Zelensky and saying that the Ukrainian leader and NATO share some blame for the war. Russia's foreign ministry said Mr. Lavrov will also meet with his counterparts in Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cuba and other countries. Moscow has been working to expand its influence in Latin America, including with countries that have traditionally been close to Washington. Mr. Lavrov's trip is designed to strengthen mutually beneficial cooperation, according to the Russian state news agency, TASS. Mr. Putin has been able to take advantage of ties dating to the Soviet era, local resentments against the United States and the whims of particular leaders. Detained reporter Evan Gershkovich, the Wall Street Journal reporter who was arrested in Russia and, charged with espionage, will have an appeal of his detention heard in Moscow, according to the Interfax News Agency, which cited the court's press service. The U.S. State Department sees him as a political hostage and believes the charges are fabricated. Sweden meeting Defense Secretary Lloyd J. Austin III is scheduled to meet with his counterpart in Sweden. Mr. Austin plans to discuss security-related topics of mutual interest and meet with senior defense and government officials. Earlier this month, Finland's application to join NATO was approved while Sweden's was left on the sidelines because its bid has been blocked by Turkey. 
The two Nordic nations had pledged to enter the alliance hand-in-hand, and both countries were given assurances of military aid from the United States and Britain in case of Russian aggression. Ukraine Aid Mr. Austin will travel to Germany to lead a meeting of the Ukraine contact group at the Ramstein Air Base. Defense ministers and senior military officials from more than 40 nations meet regularly at the base to discuss military and humanitarian aid for Ukraine. The State of the War Pentagon Leaks In the leaked U.S. intelligence documents, Ukraine's predicament looks dire. But some in Kiev welcomed the disclosures as, confirming what they have been saying for months, that its forces desperately need more weapons and munitions. In Chernobyl, not everyone evacuated when the nuclear plant melted down in 1986. The few who stayed lived through another calamity when Russian troops marched in. The battle for Bakhmut. Pushed into a shrinking corner of the devastated city, the Ukrainian military is determined to hold out for strategic reasons even as allies question the cost. KYIV, Ukraine, the European Union has criticized bans by Poland and Hungary on imports of Ukrainian grain and other foods over the weekend, saying the unilateral moves were unacceptable. The bloc, of which Poland and Hungary are member states, lifted tariffs on Ukrainian grain last year to help transport it to the rest of the world amid Russia's invasion, but the exports have led to a glut of produce in Europe. As a result, farmers in Poland, Hungary and other nations have seen their incomes plummet. Hungary's agriculture minister said on Saturday that in the absence of meaningful EU measures, his country would follow Poland in restricting Ukrainian grain imports until the end of June, according to Hungarian news reports. The announcement came after Warsaw reached a deal with Kiev on Friday to strictly limit and, for a time, halt Ukrainian grain deliveries to Poland. That deal was expected to affect Ukrainian grain, wheat, corn and some other produce, but on Saturday, Poland expanded it to include dozens of other types of food. Poland's Economic Development and Technology Minister, Waldemar Buda, said in a tweet on Sunday that the measure would also prevent the transit of Ukrainian products through Poland. A spokesperson for the European Commission, the European Union's executive arm, said in an email on Sunday that such a trade policy was a matter of EU-exclusive competence, meaning that only the bloc could adopt legally binding decisions. Unilateral actions are not acceptable, the statement said. The announcements from Hungary and Poland come as Russia has expressed doubts about extending the Black Sea grain deal, which the United Nations and Turkey brokered last year and was scheduled to expire in the next few weeks. The agreement, which allows wartime grain shipments to leave Ukraine's Black Sea ports, has been crucial for alleviating global food shortages and limiting price increases. The Black Sea deal was renewed in March, but the United Nations did not say how long it would last. Russia, which at the time said the agreement was valid through May 18, has expressed dissatisfaction with the deal for months because of Western sanctions that have hindered its own food and fertilizer exports. The agreement would become even more vital if Ukraine could not ship grain and foodstuffs over land routes in Eastern Europe, through Poland and Hungary. There had been signs in recent weeks that Ukraine's food exports were becoming a sore point in relations with Poland, one of its staunchest allies amid the war.
Last month, the prime ministers of Poland, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria and Slovakia called on the European Union to take steps to curb the influx of Ukrainian produce that had been pushing down prices and said Europe should consider reinstating tariffs. Facing a general election later this year and worried that discontent among farmers could erode support among its predominantly conservative, rural base, Poland's governing law and justice party has made solving the grain issue a priority. Poland's new agriculture minister, Robert Telles, whose predecessor resigned this month during a state visit to Poland by President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine, said at a party convention on Saturday that halting grain deliveries would act as a shield for Polish farmers. Ukraine's agriculture minister, Mykola Solsky, said on Saturday that Kyiv understood that its agricultural exports represented tough competition for other countries, but added, the Ukrainian farmer is in the most difficult situation. Mr. Solsky was expected to travel to Poland on Monday to continue talks on the issue. As Ukraine faced pushback on its grain exports, on the battlefield over the weekend, the Russian assault remained focused on the eastern front near the towns of Lyman and Bakhmut, according to a statement from the Ukrainian army's general staff on Sunday. The battles for the city of Bakhmut do not stop. The statement said. The fight for the devastated city has been grinding on for months, claiming many lives, on both sides, though the toll so far has most likely been much higher for Russia's forces. Early on Saturday, Russia's defense ministry claimed that the Wagner mercenary force had taken control of two areas on the northern and southern outskirts of Bakhmut. The remaining Ukrainian forces in the city, the Russian ministry said, on the Telegram messaging app, were retreating and deliberately destroying the city's infrastructure and residential buildings to slow down the advance of Russian troops. As of late last week, Ukrainian soldiers were defending a shrinking half-circle of destroyed buildings in a western neighborhood of Bakhmut, about 20 blocks wide in the 16-square-mile city. Ukraine's army is determined to hold out, even as allies have quietly questioned the rationale for sustaining significant casualties in a city that has been reduced to rubble. For both sides, Bakhmut has taken on a symbolic significance, military analysts say. Attention is also increasingly turning to the war's southern front, where Russian forces hold a belt of land along the Sea of Azov in the Zaporizhia, Kherson and Donetsk regions. In recent weeks, Russia has been building up its troop numbers, planting landmines and erecting defensive barriers along a front line east of the Dnipro River in the expectation that Ukraine could launch a counteroffensive there. The Russian authorities have started to evacuate children from the city of Enerhodar in the Zaporizhia region to Crimea, according to a statement posted by Ukraine's state nuclear company Energodom on Telegram Sunday. The claim, which could not be independently confirmed, echoed other recent statements by Ukrainian officials about evacuations from other parts of the Russian-occupied South. Enerhodar lies next to the Zaporizhian nuclear power plant, which is in Russian hands. Russian officials have deported thousands of Ukrainian children to Russia or to Russian-held territory under the guise of evacuating them from the threat of fighting, Ukrainian officials say. The International Criminal Court last month issued an arrest warrant for President Vladimir V. Putin of Russia for war crimes, saying he bore criminal responsibility for the abduction and deportation of Ukrainian children. Russia, meanwhile, has continued shelling towns and cities behind the front line. 
On Friday, a Russian missile strike on a residential area in the city of Sloviansk in eastern Ukraine killed 11 people and injured 22 others. The Ukrainian authorities said on Sunday that four more people remained under the rubble. Earlier on Sunday, two teenagers were killed when a missile hit a building in the community of Snyarivka in the Mykolaiv region, the head of the military administration there, Vitaly Kim, said on Telegram. Two others were killed and two more were injured in a strike on Sunday on the part of the Kherson region under Ukraine's control, Alexander Prokutin, the head of the region's military administration, said on Telegram. Russian attacks over the past few days have been met with particular outrage in Ukraine, given that it is Holy Week for Orthodox Christians. In addition, 130 Ukrainian prisoners of war were returned to the country in an Easter swap with Russia, Andriy Yermak, the head of Mr. Zelensky's office, said on Telegram. He did not say how many prisoners had been returned to Russia. Mr. Zelensky referred to Easter in an impassioned speech released overnight, in which he held out hope that the country could reclaim all of the territory it lost. The sun will shine in the south, the sun will shine in the east, and the sun will shine in Crimea, he said. Hundreds of Orthodox Christians lined up outside a cathedral in the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, after a service on Sunday as they waited for a priest to bless them with a spray of water as part of an Easter tradition. They carried baskets packed with candles, delicately dyed eggs, pasca cake, chunks of cured pork fat known as salo, and sweet Ukrainian wine called kager. As the priest came down the line, some flinched or burst into giggles as the water caught their faces. Elisa Kupchin, 18, who stood in the half-circle of people outside the church, the Holy Dormition Cathedral, said she wasn't normally a churchgoer but she respected holy days. I just moved to Kiev and wanted to visit the famous church, she said, having arrived from the city of Dnipro in central Ukraine for medical studies. It is the second year that the Orthodox Christians of Ukraine have celebrated Holy Week in the shadow of war, but much has changed for residents of Kiev since last Easter. In the weeks before then, Ukrainian forces had driven Moscow's troops from the area around the capital, and the scale of the atrocities that emerged in the wake of the Russian retreat was still becoming apparent. In addition, the start of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine on February 24 last year prompted an exodus from the capital. Though Easter week fell in late April after a semblance of normality had started to return, many of the city's residents remained absent. This year, thousands of men, women and children flocked to services for Palm Sunday, Good Friday and Easter Sunday at the large Orthodox churches in the capital and surrounding areas. The increased crowds are a reflection of the reality that, though fighting rages in eastern Ukraine, a relative calm has returned to the capital. On this day a year ago, we all prayed that Ukraine would endure, President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine said in an overnight speech. Today, for Ukraine to win. He filmed the speech at the Kiev Petrsk Lavra, or Monastery of the Caves, a network of churches that overlooks the Dnipro River and is a cradle of Christian Orthodoxy in Eastern Europe. In recent months, the authorities have moved against a branch of the church, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of the Moscow Patriarchate. It is linked to the Russian Orthodox Church, whose leader, Patriarch Kirill, has praised the war in Ukraine launched by President Vladimir V. Putin of Russia. Ukraine's government has ordered the Moscow Patriarchate Church to quit the parts of the Lavra that it uses, leading to a standoff at the site with protesters on both sides. 
The growing primacy of Ukraine's independent Orthodox Church made Easter even more significant for some worshippers there. In one example, the Moscow Patriarchate Church relinquished control of the Holy Dormition Cathedral to the government in January, and, on Sunday, Ukraine's independent church held its first-ever Easter service there. I'm not very religious, but this year is special, said Oleksandr Trokimets, 40, a lawyer and a military officer who had come to a service at the cathedral with his daughter. I want on this day to be here with Ukrainian people and Ukrainian priests. If Dmitry Krymov, the celebrated Russian director and playwright, were directing a play about his life, the third act would begin, he mused, in a cramped, art-filled apartment on Manhattan's Upper West Side. It is winter, nearly a year after Russia invaded Ukraine, turning his brief visit to the United States into an open-ended exile after he spoke out against the war. And his living room has suddenly burst into flames. So much brownish-black smoke is filling the apartment that he can't see his arms, and he's gasping for air. The computer containing drafts of his plays is burning. He is struggling to stamp out the flames with a blanket. Then darkness. His lungs are so badly damaged by the fire, which was apparently caused by a wire that short-circuited, that his doctors keep him in an induced coma for nine days. But this third act, Krymov stressed later, is not meant to be the final one. Surviving a fire, he added wryly, had been a baptism of sorts for his new life in the United States. A fire brings you closer to a country when you burn, Krymov, 68, said recently as he recovered at a friend's apartment and reflected on his self-imposed displacement, which he sees as a banishment of sorts, but also as a rebirth. My life as a play needs to end with something, and I hope that we're not at the end, he added. During President Vladimir V. Putin's first two decades in power, Russians in many walks of life, including the arts, were sometimes forced into compromises as the space for free speech narrowed. But with the war, that space has slammed shut almost entirely. As Putin has introduced some of the most draconian measures against freedom of expression since the end of the Cold War, Krymov has become part of a growing exodus of Russian artists, writers and intellectuals who have left the country, dealing a heavy blow to Russian culture.